I'm Rob. I'm Michelle. And this is Two, Two Librarians, Librarians Walk Into a Shelf. shelf. Rob, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. What is the piece of advice that you'd give yourself at the age of 16? Oh, man. You mean now? Yeah. Like you if, you could, if you could go back in time now right. and talk to your 16-year-old self, what piece of advice? You have like two seconds to give your 16-year-old self a piece of oh advice. Oh, my God. This is that moment in Back to the Future 2 when old Biff takes the almanac to young Biff and can change his life. I would probably tell myself everything that's happened to me since I've been 16. Oh, my God. Um, slow down. Don't try to make stuff happen. Keep your options open. Don't get too settled anywhere. (laughs) I guess only I know what that means, Uh, but that's my advice to myself. Um, Like I say to a lot of the coworkers we have, just be water. Go with the flow. Just keep on going down the stream. You never know what's going to happen next. Keep your options open. Don't burn any bridges until you're across. (laughs) <laughs> or at smart. all. But yeah, I think that I would just be like, uh, you know, I think I had an idea of what I wanted to be and I took it very serious and I probably should have just had more fun just hanging out and having friends. And I do that now way more than I did when I was a younger person. And uh, probably if something seems like a bad idea, don't do it. Like when you outgrow something, move on before you do something dumb. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's a lot of advice for two seconds, but uh, hopefully my 16-year-old self would be paying attention and and pick up most of it, but probably not. I have a feeling your 16-year-old self would not be paying attention. My 16-year-old self would be like, old man, you don't know anything. (laughs) So what about you? What would you go back and tell the 16-year-old Michelle? I would tell 16-year-old Michelle to stop taking it so seriously that you don't need to be an adult. You don't need to focus at 16 years old on being mature and having your job and blah, blah, blah. Because adulthood is forever. You're only a kid for a short amount of time. So, like, stop trying to brush it. Yeah. That stuff will happen. The stuff that, quote, makes you a grown-up will happen. Really, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So, I wish wish my 16-year-old self had been less interested in, like, the grades, the job, the responsibilities, the maturity, and had a little more fun. And I don't mean fun like getting in trouble. Right. Or like, quote, being a bad kid. I just mean, you know, not always being responsible. And I was always responsible. I think that's the curse of maybe being the oldest because I was the oldest and I was always responsible. And I think of all the jerky stuff all my brothers and sisters <laughs> did and got away with. Yeah. And I probably could have done that. I would also say that if you can learn from your mistakes, you're doing all right. That's true. Not to be afraid to make mistakes. So. Yeah, that's a good one. I Probably if I could just tell myself that, if two seconds, like just go out and make as many mistakes as you can. But learn from them and then don't repeat them. But not like real bad ones. Right. Well, any of them. Like if you make a mistake, learn from it. Okay. Just if you make one, learn from it. Learn from it. Yeah. Don't make a big, big one. Don't don't learn on death row right before. Yikes. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So, you know what I think is, is interesting? <laughs> 
how when you're 20, if somebody refers to you as a kid, you take so much offense oh to that. Oh my gosh, I would have been so upset. <laughs> I hated that. It was like, I'm not a kid, I'm 23. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a man. No. Yeah, and what's interesting is the stuff that people would say. You'll feel differently about that when you're older. I definitely don't feel different about those specific things, but I feel different about everything else now that I'm older. Yeah. And one thing that I love, getting carded. Like, <laughs> it's obvious if you just, even with a mask, I am not under any age, anywhere close to 21. But I just, it makes my day when somebody asks to see, even if they're like, no, I know, I just need your date to put in here. I'm like, that's fine. You made my day. Yep. Thank you. I just, I think it's annoying when I get carded. Do you? Yes. Because I think it's like... People always think I'm so much younger than I am anyway, and it's kind of annoying. So, like, when I was 20 and you called me a kid, I would have been really offended, and I guess I still carry that. Wow. Okay. Because, like, like, oh, you look so much younger, which is fine, except for that people don't take you seriously when they think you're young. Nobody loves you when you're 23. <laughs> What's my age again? <laughs> What's my age again? Wow. All right. What do we have for this week? Um, we're talking about some new materials this week. I've got a book. Uh, Rob's got a book. And we both watched a new movie that we're going to talk about. All right. You want to go first? Sure. Um, right. So it's not a secret that I love YA novels, young adult novels, especially young adult science fiction and fantasy. I started reading this series by Sarah J. Mass that starts with A Court of Thorns and Roses. And it starts out as kind of a loose Beauty and the Beast retelling in Fairyland. It went off in its own direction. Her two big series kind of start that way. It starts one thing to set up a huge amount of storytelling later. It's solidly a YA series. The protagonist is a teenager. It's told in the first person point of view. The issues that the that consume the mind of the protagonist, Farah, are handled like a YA novel. The second and third installments in the series take on kind of an older YA veil. They deal with violence, with war, trauma. And they get more racy in terms of YA novels uh, with the romance involved. The fourth was a short novella to bridge the first three with the direction that the author wants to go with the next in the series. And it was a nice segue about how the main characters in the story um, learn about who they are and they heal from the trauma of having to be in a war. So it's kind of a short little novella that bridges between where we are, where we were then and where we are now. So this is the fifth book, A Court of Silver Flames, and I unfortunately didn't have high expectations for this book because Mass's last adult novel, Crescent City, fell flat for me. Uh -oh. I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't finish it. It, you know, it just it wasn't for me. It was still wildly popular. It just wasn't it wasn't my jam. And I was afraid that maybe the magic for this author for me was gone. But in this latest, it's. She has written a solid romance novel. And we all know how I feel about romance novels. Yes, we do. So the main characters, they're grown adults. They're both healing from the trauma that they experienced in this war. And they're, you know, learning to grow past it and learning, I guess, to love themselves is the way it's kind of like the two main characters. They're learning how to love themselves after, you know, horrible things in a war. So Mass is kind of known for her, like, Badass, can I say that? I don't even know. But badass female characters that are kind of self-sabotaging. And Nesta, the main character in this one, is no different. 
She's battling herself through the entire book as much as she is battling their enemies. She's struggling with negative self-talk, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And we start the book with Nesta's basically self-destructing with drinking and sex with random partners to kind of numb herself out from feeling like she's worthless. And her sisters decide to like stage an intervention. They take her from her like crappy apartment and set her up with like physical training and like a job in a library to try to like kickstart her out of her downward spiral. So the other character, um, his name is Cassian. He's like a warrior. Everybody knows him. Like he's feared. He's a general. He's like, you know, also a badass. I guess we could bleep that. But he, you know, he's not necessarily proud of the violence and all of that. So he's like working through all of that. Anyway, in the novel, they come together. They're working through trauma. They're working through letting someone else love them, loving themselves. And this is where the romance novel takes, takes place, right? This is not a YA novel. Not it, at all. Not at all. This is a straight-up romance novel with adult main characters and adult themes that are dealt with in adult ways. And it wasn't marketed as a YA novel. So none of the marketing ever tried to put it in the YA section. Um, and the author was honest from the beginning. This is an adult book. That doesn't mean teenagers can't read it. Right. Um, but it's not written from the point of view of a teenager. It's not written with, you know, the hopes and dreams and fears and mental state that a teenager would be in. This is a grown woman who has been through a war coming out of a depression. She makes friends. She learns how to be a friend. She learns how to be a sister. And she learns how to let other people care for her. And it was a really great book. And I was so afraid I would hate it. And I just enjoyed it so much. So I guess you're happy that you didn't give up on the author after the last book you tried to read and couldn't finish. Yes. So the author writes like exclusively like tough female characters. That's their thing. And that's her thing. And that's great. That last one, Crescent City, it was like she was trying too hard to make her main character to be tough. Right. And it just came across as uh, I just I didn't believe it. Gotcha, gotcha. But with this one, unfortunately, you can't, I wouldn't say you could pick this one up without reading the other ones. You won't understand the motivations and the side characters at all. And most of it probably wouldn't even make sense if you didn't have the background of like the three books about the war. Right. But she's, she's moving into adult novels. She's growing with her reader base, right? So they, the reader base is getting older and she is growing to like keep those readers instead of staying in the YA genre. If you like YA fantasies and you aren't afraid of a romance novel, if you like paranormal romance, fantasy adventures, um, you know, tough female protagonists, then I think you'd enjoy the series and especially the latest one. Sounds cool. It was pretty good. I'm so happy it was good. <laughs> I'm so relieved. This is what everybody's been talking about in the workroom, right? Yes, everybody's it is. Everybody's been reading this, is, this one? This okay. is the book everybody's been reading and everybody is like, oh my gosh, it's so much better than I thought. So... We're all very happy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's a good way to start the new year. Yeah. By reading a book. Well, I went and read a new nonfiction book from the entertainment section. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> the Oral History of Richard Linkletter's Dazed and Confused. This is a massive uh, book of interviews of all the main characters 
all the actors and actresses that played the main characters and all the, the crew that worked on it, going back and looking at where this movie came from, how it was put together. And it is a hoot. I mean, it's just fun to read because whatever you think it must have been like, it, it was like that. So all, <laughs> all these young actors uh, and actresses, they won their parts. They show up in Austin. They're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. It's For a lot of them, it's their first movie, like Ben Affleck, Renee Zellweger's in there, um, Matthew McConaughey, all these people at the very beginning of their career. And then some of the people that auditioned for parts that didn't get parts is another who's who. Like if this cast is great, the, the people that didn't get parts like Ashley Judd and Vince Vaughn, and it just goes on and on. It's just, uh, they still refer to it as their, their summer at summer camp. And that's how it was approached. Richard Linkletter got the opportunity to make a studio picture after having a, a success with an independent film called Slacker, which we have in the system. I did try to watch it and I couldn't get into it. It's, it's, a, it's kind of an arty, kind of weird. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I haven't. But it was hard for me to get into that one because I went to it expecting Days and Confused. And what you learn in the book is everybody was expecting Days and Confused to be more like Slacker, um, which was an art film. And, and a lot of people thought that he had sold out by doing a, a big studio picture for $6 million, which is nothing. Right. Uh, especially, you know, for 1991, it was still nothing. They were making Jurassic Park and that's what Universal's focus was on, you know, stuff like that. So he put this thing together he wrote the uh, the screenplay and all these characters had the auditions. And before everybody came to Austin for the summer of filming, uh, they, they were going to do rehearsals first, but he encouraged them to decide who their characters really were. And if anything that he wrote didn't work, to change it and to come and be prepared to bring whatever they had to the character, meaning to kind of make it up on the spot, which is chaos when you think of that huge cast. Yeah. And he was a young guy. And then you have all these these young people that don't have a lot of professional uh, experience and they're kind of ad-libbing scenes. And the people who were able to do that got more screen time and their characters were built up. So you have Parker Posey who came from stage and she got in there and – she said that her approach to her character was that she was uh, inspired by drag queens that she had seen in New York, the way they acted and talked to one another. So she had this, what she referred to as this queen bee attitude as the head of the seniors who were torturing these freshmen, incoming freshmen. And when you watch it now, you see that and yeah. it's amazing. And so all these people, they put them all together in this little world and they could only listen to music from the 70s. And this was 92, so grunge was kind of coming in. So there was this huge, big change in the music world that they did not participate in for that summer. And they stayed in this hotel, and they lived in their costumes. And uh, Matthew McConaughey has a great story about not only how he got the part, but who the part was based on was his older brother, Pat. And a lot of the lines that he remembered from his childhood – Pat had said. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he took a lot of inspiration from his own brothers, which I think is kind of sweet. And then, you know, 
he brought so much to the character that his character was a second thought in the script. His character was just this, literally this creepy older guy Mm -hmm. that was supposed to just kind of unnerve the audience, but that McConaughey kind of created this different character. And instead of being creepy, he was sad. You know, he was a sad character still hanging out with, with high school kids five, six years after he graduated in the original, the original idea for the character was to kind of be a weird, creepy dude who he he knew a guy like that. Mm-hmm. But then uh, McConaughey turned it into this other character, and uh, a lot of the kids weren't what you know. Obviously, they're actors. The the young man, um, Rory Calhoun, I believe his name was, who played Slater. He was later in Empire Records. He he plays the long haired burnout. Mm-hmm. Well, he had short hair. He's wearing a wig. I know who all the everyone who's wearing a wig now. It's not all the, <laughs> the real hair, and it's really hard to watch now because I'm like, oh, that's a wig. That's why he wore the hat to make his wig look more realistic. Right. <laughs> so you get a lot of this, and uh, so it starts with how it was conceived, um, how they cast it, how they put it together, where they filmed, how they filmed putting stuff together and then just the little details that the executives from universal didn't understand, but Linkletter insisted that they take time to film these scenes because they were important for people to get into the movie. And when you, when you think of how maybe you react to that movie or movies in general, the one scene that they just did not understand was the scene after the baseball game, Mitch was coming off the, from uh, pitching and he was going to get hazed and he was doing everything he could to stay on the field as long as he could. There's that moment after the game where the two teams walk towards each other and, and say good game and, and kind of slap hands. That was really important because that was part of growing up for Richard Linkletter that no matter what the game was, who won, who lost, there was that moment where everybody was the same and they slapped hands and said good game. Mm-hmm. And then they, they went on. That. Okay. The brass at Universal didn't understand that. And but when you see that moment in the movie, it's a real moment, and that's when you connect to that kind of thing. Yeah. So he had a very specific uh, vision for what he wanted to do with the movie, and so getting into this book has has just been fantastic. So if you enjoyed the movie, Days and Confused, if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, we have we have copies in the system, and then again we have several copies. The book is All Right, All Right, All Right: The Oral History of Richard Linkletter's Days and Confused. By Melissa Mertz. I highly recommend it. It is really, really a fun read. If you love that movie, I think you're going to love this book. I'm interested. Yeah. Because I do like that movie. And you were talking uh, before we started that you might read the Matthew McConaughey book. What is it? Uh, Greenlight. Greenlight. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen that his little, through. his memoir that he, if you hear him talk about it, he like took his Airstream and went on the road for as many days in a row as he could to get that written, just like all by himself, completely unhooked from the rest of the world with him and his dog. I was like, that's cool. That's that's so Wooderson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) I don't know if he would like that. Okay. So last week, Rob brings me this movie, and he promises me that I will be able to watch it. It's not too gory. It's not too scary. Yes, it's a scary movie, but you will you can handle it, Michelle, he promises. I believe in you. Thank you. And then when I was telling my husband, who is also a fan of scary movies, so my husband Chris and my coworker here, Rob, 
like a lot of the same things, sometimes that drives me crazy. I can't escape. Sorry. That's all right. So Rob gives me this movie where, and he's like, you guys need to watch this movie. I could not remember the name of the movie when I was telling Chris about this movie and I kept calling it something about Wolf Holler. So close. <laughs> we got to watch this movie Wolf Holler. Rob says it's good. Chris is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of a movie called Wolf Holler. <laughs> <laughs> no, the movie is The Wolf in Snow Hollow. So close. The Wolf of Snow Hollow <laughs> from 2020. It actually played theaters last year, and I hate that I missed it in the theater because I think this would have been a really, this would have been a treat seeing it with the right audience and if everybody got into it because I really yeah. enjoyed this movie. So it's described as a comedy horror thriller, which is why I thought that you might enjoy it. That's a good description. So you kind of go with that? Like yeah. you, you got into the movie easy enough? Yeah. All right. No, I I... I enjoyed the play of what's happening, like in quote real life, versus like the murder. Is it is it a werewolf? What is the murderer? Is it a man? I don't know. I really enjoyed the play between like the breakdown of his personal life, the sheriff's personal life, <laughs> and, and like the mayhem of a serial killer in town. There was so much. Honest humor. Yes. That the main deputy, the premise of the movie, there's this string of really gory animal slayings in Snow Hollow or Snow Holler. And, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and so they have proof that it's a werewolf, but Deputy Marshall refuses to accept the fact that it's a werewolf. So this is. A werewolf movie that's an anti-werewolf movie, which I thought was kind of a, a, a clever way of uh, playing it. So there's so much more to the story. The story actually opens during an AA meeting because the deputy has got so many personal problems. He's also trying to beat his his demons with alcohol. And he's a character that's He's on the edge for most of the movie, but he does tip over at some point. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> he slaps a corner in one really funny scene. <laughs> um, so the movie just, I just bought it. I, I bought into it. I love this character of the deputy because he really is juggling. It's done in it. It's done comically, but he's really, he's dealing with the job. Yep. Of trying to figure out the murders. Yep. Dealing with being a parent. Dealing with being a parent of a renegade teenage girl whose his daughter is just not putting up with him. Dealing with the ex-wife. Dealing with his father, the sheriff, who's mm -hmm. constantly being told by his doctor to do something and he doesn't do it. It's very relatable stuff. Yeah. And he's trying to do all of it. And he knows he's failing. And even when he opens his mouth to say something, he knows he's going to say the wrong thing. But he has to just do it. Yeah. There's something endearing about that character. I mean, he knows. But he's always thinking, too, which is kind of a, a nice thing for the character. And he's it, not a dummy. No. And I think it would be really easy for that character to be unlikable, but he was not. Right. You're rooting for him. Even though he's like, his life is crumbling. He is making bad choices. <laughs> he is not a nice guy. But how, for whatever reason, you're still rooting for him. Yeah, there is something endearing about, about that, that you do, you do want to see him come out on top. Yeah. 
he could it could have been played a couple different ways. The character, uh, the actor who played him, Jim Cummings, was actually the writer director, which it makes it even more amazing because it's such a layered performance. Yeah. But you know, it's his interpretation based on his writing. Like he really knew who he wanted this character to be, and then he really does great with it. Uh, there's some scenes where you just see him thinking. And something dawns on him, and just in his expression, you get that. But when you think about the moment that he's filming that, he's actually was behind the camera, called action, ran in front of the camera, oh, geez. does this scene. I'm stressed out thinking about right. that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he did great, and the cast is great. It it does have some violence. It, it does have more, I think, suggested gore. Yes, it was more suggested and like blood on the ground. Which is why I told you I think you could handle it. It's it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, like we've talked before. I'm a weenie when it comes to that stuff, but uh, this one was fine. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It like was, you see more gore watching TV. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's way more gore like in one episode of Breaking Bad than in this movie. It's a dated reference. Is it? I just finished watching it. <laughs> There's more gore in this. In. CSI, Law and Order. Still dated, but that's okay. I think more people know that. <laughs> X-Files. X-Files was kind of gory. That was a couple years ago. Just a few. No, you're right, though. It's uh, it Compared to some TV shows, TV shows have, have, have gone a yeah. long way in, in showing some really grisly stuff. And this movie doesn't quite come there. But it just has a lot of great moments. It is funny. When it gets scary, it is kind of, you know, you kind of are on the edge of your seat. Yeah. It doesn't outstay its welcome. I think it's about 84 minutes. So with credits, the movie itself is probably like right there at an hour and 20 minutes, which for me is perfect. Yeah, it was great. It, it does have one of uh, Robert Forrester's final appearances before yeah, he passed away. I saw that. And uh, they did, I believe, dedicate the movie to him, they which did. I thought was really nice. Yeah. So it's just a fun movie. Again, The Wolf of Snow Hollow or... Wolf Holler. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's it's new to the system. Uh, we do have a copy coming in. You can put that on hold, pick it up. I think that if you dig monster movies, you're going to enjoy this one. It's a little different. Uh, I think it's got some surprises. And it comes Michelle approved. Can I say that? It's Michelle approved. Sure, yeah. It was funny. It was suspenseful. Light gore. An hour, you know, like it was short enough. You could watch it on a night when you're tired and not fall asleep. It was good. All right. So Wolf of Snow Hollow from 2020. It is in the system. Check it out. For the rest of March, we've got some new stuff coming at you. And we're going to talk about Women's History Month. Have some recommendations uh, for that coming up. Uh, what else are we doing in March? We're not sure. Are we doing the book club for March or are we doing a new library opening? Oh, the new library is opening. We have a new library that's opening that we might go and... Hijack and so we're hoping to do an episode from the new library. I knew there was something coming up in March. My brain is. I think they're calling. I think they're saying that that's that's going to be open. So we might sneak over there one day and uh, check out the grand opening of the North Huntsville Library. Yeah, that's so exciting. If we do the book, when we do book club, when we do book club next, the next book is science fiction. Becky Chambers, a long way to a small angry planet. You can get the ebook and the audio book on Hoopla. I'm thinking about doing the audiobook. I've never listened to an audiobook before. Our coworker Nora is a big fan of the audiobooks for this series. So that okay. may be the way to go. Okay. And then 
it counts according to amanda a couple weeks ago it counts as a book that i read reading I, i'm reading. reading it reading it with my ears absolutely is that what she said ear reading ear reading which sounds weird, weird but sure reading. why not weird reading <laughs> weird reading oh my god sometimes we just anyway <laughs> remember no matter what they say don't, don't trust, trust robots. robots bye The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project.